Well, it is certainly a joy to be here at this wonderful church. I love your music and thank you for coming. I see a lot of familiar faces, folks that I have known not years, but decades. Um, I told somebody coming in, I was old as dirt. <clears throat> when I came to Franklin County, I was 27, and uh, the Lord has blessed me and my wife and if we live until uh, December, we will be married 60 years. Now, the reason I... Uh, I was going to say don't clap, just throw money, but uh, I'll leave that off. But it's good to see you here today in the Lord's house. Um, Franklin Heights had their 60th um, anniversary a month or so ago. And I was asked to speak for a few minutes. And one of the very first things I said to Franklin Heights, it was the vision of Rocky Mount Baptist Church that brought into vision, brought into being the Franklin Heights mission. Some of you may not know that Franklin Heights was a mission of this church beginning in, I think, 1959 or 60. And uh, I read somewhere, if we can see further down the road, it is because we stand on the shoulders of other people. And whatever God is doing at Franklin Heights, it is, I believe, in large measure because we stand on the shoulders of those in this good church who had a vision to start Franklin Heights. Today I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. I have been in this passage this week studying it, reading it, meditating upon it. And it occurred to me that when you get to this place, which is called Gethsemane, where our Lord yielded to the cross, it seems to me that this corresponds to what God said to Moses. Moses was 80 years old, and in Exodus chapter 3, God said to Moses, Moses, take off your sandals because you're on holy ground. And it occurred to me this week that when you get to Gethsemane, we are on holy ground. And whatever else I say today is not as important is what I read in the scripture. So if you have your copy of the word of God, let's read from verse 32 of Mark chapter 14. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. They came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here, until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And when he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray, that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, 
All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying so that you will not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Before the church can get to a place called Calvary, we must come to a place that we call Gethsemane. You and I know that there would never be any forgiveness of sin. There would never be a church where we could come and assemble and sing praises to God if there had not been a place called Calvary. I am reminded of that song, Up Calvary's Mountain, One Dreadful Morn, Walked Christ my Savior, weary and worn, seeking for sinners, death on the cross, that he might save them from endless loss. You may not be aware that there are 60 hymns in our Baptist hymnals that take us to the cross. Because you see, it is the cross and the resurrection. It is Calvary and the power of God that raised Christ from the dead that makes the church possible, that is able to bring us from death to life. And so this morning, I want us to look, first of all, at the context of this passage. In just a short period of time, before we get to the Garden of Gethsemane, two important things have happened. Just a short few hours before then, Jesus said to the disciples, prepare a room, and we know it as the upper room. And you remember, they went there to celebrate the Passover. But Jesus took the Passover, which you will remember was when he delivered Israel from Egyptian bondage and the death angel passed over every home that had been smeared with the blood of the lamb. But he took that wonderful occasion and he used it to bring into being what we call the Lord's Supper. In that passage in Mark 14, you will remember that Jesus took bread and he said, this is my body which is given to you. And then he took the wine or the cup and he said, this is my blood, which is the covenant of the New Testament. And so Jesus institutes what we celebrate, the Lord's Supper. But the second thing that's happened, before they left the upper room, Jesus said, there will be many who fall away. And you remember Peter, what Peter said, no, Lord, I will never you, I'll follow you even unto death. And you remember our Lord said to Peter, Peter, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And so they left the upper room and they made their way to a place called Gethsemane. And by the way, the word Gethsemane means oil press. And the ancients used to have this large stone and they would take the olives and they would crush them 
in order to extract the oil, which is called, of course, olive oil. And this week, when I was meditating and reflecting and ruminating over this text, it occurred to me that in Isaiah chapter 53, where I believe that 8th century prophecy was talking about our Lord and what he suffered on Calvary. He talked about he was despised and rejected of men. He said, all we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But also in this text, in verse 5 of Isaiah 53, he says, he was crushed for our iniquities. And you remember Gethsemane is about the oil press, the crushing of the oil. And he was crushed for our iniquities. And in verse 10 it says, and it was the Lord's will to crush him. And so when we come to this sacred place, we are indeed on holy ground. Because in the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, This is my blood, which is the covenant of the New Testament. It was the songwriter Robert Lowry who asked, I believe, one of the most important questions that you and I could ever ask. Robert Lowry, that hymn writer, said, What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin. And there is not one of us here today, not one of us who is not a sinner. The Bible tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Even if the Bible had not said that, we know that we are sinners. There is innate in us that rebellion against God, the sinfulness of human beings. But yet it was through Calvary it was because of the blood of Christ that you and I can have the forgiveness of our sins. Oh, I believe it is easy to miss what is happening in this text. For you see, Jesus was God in the flesh. You remember what John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. In 1 John, the Word refers to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, the Word tabernacled among us for 33 years. And so what we have in Jesus in a way that is a mystery beyond our ability to comprehend that in Jesus Christ we have God in the flesh. The Word, God, became flesh. Jesus himself said, If you have seen the Father, you have seen me. 
And so Jesus comes to us in flesh. And he lived among us without sinning. And he went to a place called Calvary. Jesus, who in his godness could turn water into wine and give sight to the blind, even in raising the dead, but in his humanity. And we must not forget that Jesus was not only God, but he was man. And as a man, he knew hunger and he knew thirst. He needed sleep and he felt pain, physical pain and spiritual pain. And so when we come to this text, the question is, what does this text teach us? I think the first thing it teaches us is what's taking place here is a place of prayer. You remember in verse 32 it says, And they came to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here until I have prayed. And then, of course, Jesus prays, and he comes back, and he finds that the disciples, actually by this time, it was not all the disciples. He had chosen Peter, James, and John. Now, Peter, James, and John seemed to be a special inner circle of the disciples. On more than one occasion in the New Testament, you will read where Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. He did so on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was not all the disciples. The Bible says he took Peter, James, and John. When he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, we find that who was there? Peter, James, and John. And here in Gethsemane, he separates from the larger group of the disciples that had celebrated the Lord's Supper or the Passover in the upper room. Now there is a small group, and who is it? Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And he went further, and he began to pray. And then he comes back, and he finds Peter, James, and John, and they're sleeping as I meditated on that this week, it occurred to me that certainly our Lord in his humanity was disappointed. Here he was praying to the Father. Here he was pouring out his heart and soul because Jesus looked into the cup of Calvary and saw what was ahead of him at the cross. And his heart was shaken. For in verse 34 it says, and he said to them, now listen, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here. One Bible scholar said that when Jesus came to the realization of what it meant to go to the cross, he was stunned and amazed almost to the point of physical death. I'm sure all of us remember times when Maybe a great earthquake took place or a flood and, and then they report that somebody, because of the stress, had a heart attack. It seems to me that what the writer is saying here, when Jesus comes to this time of prayer and in a way that we may not understand, God reveals to Jesus what it really means to go to the cross and become sin for us, the Bible says and then to bear our sins. And it says that I, he was a sin bearer, that 
we placed on him the iniquity of us all. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Not only your sins and my sins, but the sins of everyone, all of what took place under Stalin and Hitler and Pol Pot and Mao Zedong and all the despots of history, their inhumanity to man was placed in that moment upon Jesus Christ. And it was the cup that caused Jesus to pray this. Father, all things are possible for you. And if it's possible, remove this cup from me. What I take away from this passage is that this is a place of prayer. It is a place where Jesus pours out his soul, his spirit, his heart. It is burdened almost beyond description. It says almost to the point of death. And here he sees what is before him. It is a place of prayer. It occurs to me that if anything ought to be said of the church, it ought to be said that we are a place of prayer. You remember Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. I hope I'm talking to people today who know the difference between praying and having a prayer life. I don't claim to be a prayer warrior. I have been introduced at times. I've done lessons on prayer. I have preached on prayer. And I don't believe that I am a prayer warrior, but I believe I am further in the school of prayer. That's what Andrew Murray called it, with Christ in the school of prayer. And folks, in, we're living in troubled times. These are the times that try men's souls. It was said during the Revolutionary War by Thomas Paine. He was talking about a different time and he was no friend of the church. But yet, in the Re Revolutionary War, those were times that tried the souls of men. During the last year and a half, I would say that these are times that try men's soul. And because of that, if there is anybody, if there is any organization, if there is any place where people can pray, it ought to be the people of God. Our nation needs the prayers of God's people. Whatever else you hear me say today, the answer to the problems of America is not the Democrats or the Republicans or the Independents. It is Holy God. Whatever else happens in America, I have had people to ask me, Preacher, what do you think this pandemic means? Do you think God has anything to do with this COVID pandemic? Well, in my humble but accurate opinion, I believe either one or two things. Either God sent it or God permitted it to be sent. Now, if you disagree with both of us, you don't believe in the God of the Bible. God either sent it, and maybe he didn't, but he permitted it to be sent, and you must believe that. 
And so I say, in these times that try men's souls, we need to be people of prayer. And so I would ask you today, not in a judgmental way, not in a way that I have arrived and you haven't because I haven't arrived anywhere. I have a long ways to go. But years and years ago, I began every year to make a new notebook, and I called it my prayer notebook. And this week, I counted the number of people that I pray for in a given week. Sometimes I pray every day for those people. And there are people right here today in this church that I pray for every day. Some of the rest that are here at this church, I may pray for once a week. And by the way, I pray for your church. I pray for your pastor. This is God's church. This is where God wants to work. But I'm saying to you, I counted the number of people, and don't misunderstand, but in a week's time, I will cover between 120 and 130 people, and then there are other things I pray for. You see, in Gethsemane, it was a place of prayer. It was where our Lord burdened at the prospect of Calvary. It was our Lord who was grieved almost to the point of prayer of death. And he pointed out and he asked God, and this is an unusual request, Lord, if there's any other way for you to redeem humanity, if there's any other way for you to forgive sin, if there's any other way to satisfy your expectations, your wrath, Lord, choose another way. But this says, and he came and he prayed and he said, Lord, if it's possible that this hour might pass by. And he said, Lord, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. So not only was it a place of prayer, but it was a place of surrender to the will of God. And folks, in all of our lives, if we're children of God, if we're serious followers of Jesus Christ, there ought to be in our lives times when we come and yield again to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You remember what the Lord cautioned us one day when he said, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter to the kingdom of God. You see, there are a lot of people who talk about the Lord. There are a lot of people who use the Lord's name but know nothing about a dynamic, living, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But here our Lord who had never sinned, our sinless Savior. He said, Lord, not my will, my, your will be done. Oh, there's a third thing I want to say about it. It was a place of pain. You see, Jesus in his humanity understood the place of pain. He knew what it meant to be, to go to the cross. He was a man of prayer. And the Bible teaches a lot about prayer. I've, did, I've done a study, as I said, on prayer. And, and the psalmist said, I love the Lord because he heard my voice. The psalmist says, therefore, let everyone who is godly pray. 
Psalms 55 said, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Luke 5 says, But Jesus himself often slipped away into the wilderness to pray. But because he was a praying man, he was able to surrender his life to the cross. Because he was in communication with the Father, as good as our preacher is at our church, and he is a great preacher, he's a lot better preacher than I am. I'm just a country preacher, but he's sophisticated and all that stuff. But what I'm saying is, is that even as good as he is, that's not enough for me. I have to read the Word of God daily. I have to go to my Lord daily, many times a day, stay in communication with Him. I wouldn't tell everybody this, but my wife and I bought a SUV a couple of years ago, and it's one of these high-tech, and I got it home, and I didn't even realize it couldn't play CDs. <laughs> you had to have a smartphone to even play anything on my car, which costs a lot of money. I wanted to take it back, but they wouldn't let me. No, I didn't. But my point is, I spend a lot of time now not listening to the radio because I don't have a smartphone. I told you I was country. But you can keep in communication with God. Oh, as I ride around our community, I'll see somebody and I'll pray for them. As I meet the Lord in the morning and as I meet the Lord at night and through the day, folks, we ought to be people of prayer. And because Jesus came to the place of prayer, he yielded to the will of God. And the will of God, according to Isaiah 53, was for him to go to the cross. And in the cross, in his humanity, he suffered pain. Did you know that Roman law prohibited any citizen of the Roman Empire, prohibited them from going to having ex, being executed by the cross. Now, they could be executed other ways, but according to what I understand, it was prohibited for any citizen of Rome to be executed on the cross. But Jesus went to the cross. He became our sin bearer. He went to the cross because he loves us. He went to the cross because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said, Father, if it's possible, I want you to do it another way, but not my will, thy will be done. The pain of the cross allows you and me to know the forgiveness of sin. And so today, as I come to the conclusion of this message, it is no wonder that the cross is the universal symbol of Christian faith. Now, there are thousands, yea, millions of people who wear the cross around the neck who know nothing about what it means. But for you and for me, who have been to the cross, for you and me who know what it is, to have the cross and the blood of the cross come to us and forgive us. For those of us who have 
ask Jesus to come into our lives and to be our Savior and to the Lord, it is meaningful. Sixty hymns in our hymnal points us to the cross. The cross should remind us and we should be thankful for his amazing grace. Folks, I'm 82 years old and I still thank God that at age 10, and I was the first person in my family to be born again. It was a preacher's wife who asked me and took me to the place called Calvary. My mother at that time was not a Christian, but she came to know Christ as her Savior and lived to be almost 96. I, my precious wife and I took care of her until she was almost 96. She had, two weeks before she died, she said, Larry, I want you to pray that the Lord will take me. She was suffering. And it was hard for me to do that. But I'm told you to know she became a godly woman. And what I'm saying is, I've lived enough life to see that Jesus Christ changes people. I've seen people move from addiction to alcohol and drugs to new creatures in Christ Jesus. I've seen people whose marriages were on the rocks and they came to Jesus and the marriage was restored. But oh, Christian, we who are the people of God, it all began at a place called Gethsemane where Jesus said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And it was the will of God to allow Jesus to go to the cross, to die for me and to die for you. Thank God for the cross. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you today for <clears throat> the precious cross. I thank you today, Lord, that we can sing about the cross. I thank you, Father, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners were slain. Oh, Father, before we can get to Calvary, we must pause at a place called Gethsemane. I make this prayer in the one who surrendered to the cross, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. We're going to sing an invitational hymn, and I don't know your heart, and you don't know my heart, but you may be here today, and you have never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to be your Savior. You've never known what it is to have a personal, intimate, living relationship with Jesus Christ. Becoming a Christian doesn't make us perfect. Becoming a Christian makes us children of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Or if you have a need that you want me to pray about and you want to come, as Velshera leads us as we stand and sing.